available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome back, everybody, to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the Scout 247 CBS Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the Scout 247 CBS Interactive Sports Network. We are the Podcast of Champions talking Pac-12 football. Kind of crazy weekend in Pac-12 football. We're going to talk all about it. We're going to recap uh, week two games. We're going to preview week three games. If you have any questions for us, podcast at, I'm sorry, Pac12podcast at gmail.com. Our Twitter is at Pac12podcast. Our website, uh, Pac12podcast.com, which you're going to need this week for our picks because we're doing this show a little bit early. And our voicemail number is 641-715-3900, extension 734-972. Yeah, and we're doing this a little bit early because uh, I live in Atlanta now. And uh, dun, we're dun, dun. I know. Breaking we're in news. the path. Yeah, I know. Breaking news! Um, <laughs> we are in the path of Hurricane Irma, so that's fun. Uh, that adds a whole new and exciting element uh, to the podcast of champions, but that makes us have to uh, record on a Sunday rather than on a Monday. So you get the podcast of champions a little bit earlier in the week. Yeah, so it won't change really anything except what we'll do is we'll put our picks. We'll talk about the pre, you know, like uh, preview the games, but our actual picks will go up on our website, pac12podcast.com. Uh, we, you know, we love keeping track. So I don't know a lot of the shows that do that, Dave, but we want to keep track every week. We were both, uh, six and five this week. So we had a uh, winning records again. So that was nice. Um, kind of bouncing back a little bit. I think once the, the conference season goes, we'll, we'll get, we'll get in our groove again, but you know, we're, we're getting back there. Yeah. And you know, I write a picks column for bro every week. Um, and in that picks column, I had actually changed a few of my picks. Um, I actually, uh, like whenever we recorded last week, I recorded on a Monday by whenever I wrote that thing, like Thursday night, I had actually changed two of my picks to what ended up being right. I had Nebraska plus the points and uh, San Diego state plus the points. So for that column, I went really well. And then for our, little show i uh i struggled <laughs> mightily because uh i think when we're together we influence each other into much more stupid behavior <laughs> yeah because we were actually in person dave came by the office <laughs> last week which is fun uh fun. we had a good time our buddy kyle bonagora was in the press box with him last night and he goes i'm not gonna lie i was a little intimidated seeing that it was a two-hour show <laughs> like well we were in person you know we just kind of started rambling um yeah. and i think it's harder too now we're doing picks on monday like it's tough. Like it's it's a little harder to doing it six days out. Also, yeah, it's harder. Um, but at the same time, it's easier because we don't have to. You know, that that little bit of homework that you know twenty four hours of distance between Sunday and tw- and Monday provided. We don't have to do that. You know, yeah. we just go with our gut, and our gut is the most important thing. So we got a couple of questions on Twitter. We'll try to get to those at the end. Yeah, we we definitely are, we're a gut show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then, uh, but uh, I think Dave, we should probably just jump right in and start off with our Pac-12 roundup. Absolutely. Yeah. Love so, it. 
We'll unveil. Uh, unveil. We'll. <laughs> that was good. I like that. No, don't, don't even correct it. Just go with it. We're unveiling our power rankings. Are ever important? And uh, it's funny. Our our Kyle, I think Kyle might be our only listener. No, we we do get thousands of downloads, but Kyle, who covers, uh, does a great job covering the Pac-12 for ESPN, uh, always likes to talk about the show. So we were we were discussing in the press box last night as Washington State is making their comeback, what his power rankings would be. So. The, the the podcast of champions was influencing the sports leader, the worldwide sports leader, ESPN, in their power rankings of the Pac-12. Yeah, I think we're an affiliate at this point. <laughs> They're good. Certainly not of the Pac-12 network. Certainly not. No, I mean we love the guy. I love everyone at the Pac-12 network. We just tease them about the you know some of the the management style and stuff. But you know, great great people that work there. We love them all. Love them. Love them all. So we'll start off with our number twelve team. No change here this week, Dave. Oregon State Beavers. And no change for very good reason. Uh, one of the one of the things we nailed last week was um, the underestimation of how bad Oregon State was from the uh, odds makers in Vegas. Oregon State walked into this game favored by two points and lost to Minnesota. Wait for it. Wait for it. Forty-eight to fourteen, and it never even felt like it was even close. It was just such a fundamental beatdown. Oregon State is terrible. Whatever like progress they made last year is gone. Um, there's so so even through the first couple of games, we said, "Oh, the offense looks okay. It's just the defense looks like garbage." Uh, the offense was horrible as well. Um, they gained a total of 225 yards uh, defensively um, to like what's a like not even a middling Big Ten team. Uh, they gave up um, 411 yards. Yeah. And here's the thing. Minnesota was so one-dimensional, they only threw eight passes in the game. They ran the ball 58 times. Oregon State knew it was coming and still couldn't stop it. Um, there were a bunch of turnovers for Oregon State. Um, yeah, they're they're really bad. Um, like, it's now at the point where you've got to start looking at the schedule and say, all right, what FBS schools can they beat? Um, and looking at their Pac-12 slate, I mean... Uh, they could easily, easily go 0 and 9 in conference. I would, oh. at this point, I would probably be betting. I, I think I, I feel, I feel that it's more likely they go 0 and 9 than 1 and 8 at Ouch. this point. Yeah. Given everything I've seen of the Pac-12. Um, not pretty. Uh, you mentioned the the yardage discrepancy, three turnovers uh, for Gary Anderson's squad. Uh, Minnesota and the row your boat mentality of PJ Fleck, nine of 13 on third down. Uh, Oregon State was three of 11, so that's not very good. And then Ryan Nall didn't start by design. What the hell kind of design do you got that Ryan Nall is not start, is, is not starting? But Minnesota controlled the clock, 38 minutes to 21 in time of possession. And when, when Oregon State scored, Dave, it was early. First, yeah. it was like after a fake punt. And then the second time, like they got a turnover, like basically in the red zone. And that's the only time they scored. So, I, I mean, this was not pretty, uh, and I, I don't know where Oregon State goes from here, but I don't want to spend too much time on it because they were butt, like you like to say. They were so butt, <laughs> like such buddiness going on there. Um, but yeah, I, I think they go, I think they go in the trash heap at this point. And I'm sorry, Beavers fans. I know you guys were excited for the season, and I was excited to watch a potentially bowl, uh, game, um, Beavers team, but they took a huge step back this year. So, 
this weekend, um, Oregon State's going to take on a team later on in our power rankings as we start to creep into the conference season. So we'll preview that when we uh, talk about that team. Yeah, I feel bad. I mean, you think like the Gary Anderson after, you know, a few years in, it's going to turn one way. Man, has it turned the other way. It's You know, maybe they can turn it around, but doesn't look, uh, no indication that that's going to be uh, happening at this point. And just in case some Oregon State fans turn it off right here, just to give you some, you know, info, it's uh, your game's at 2.30 p.m. on the Pac-12 network at Pullman, playing number 20 Washington State. Yeah. We'll get to a preview in a little bit. Okay. Uh, our number 11 team, speaking of butt. Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> so this is another game where, like, I re-listened to the podcast because I couldn't believe that I had picked Arizona State after this game. And then I listened to it. And, like, that was one of the ones where I provided all this rationale for why Arizona State was going to lose this game. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to go with Arizona State. And you literally were like, What? <laughs> Nothing you said leading up to that indicated you were going Arizona State. And then sometime between Monday and Thursday, I thought better of it and made it a different pick in my picks column. But anyway, um, that's that's a lot of preamble for San Diego State walked into Tempe, beat Arizona State by 10. Uh, Todd Graham is now firmly, firmly ensconced on a hot seat. Um, if he wasn't already, um, San Diego State really blitzed the crap out of Arizona State. Uh, sacked the quarterback a bunch of times. Uh, Manny Wilkins was under pressure a lot throughout the day. Um, once again, and I think this is maybe the storyline for the last couple of years, Arizona State just completely unable to run the ball. Uh, they had 31 carries for just 44 total yards. Um, Manny Wilkins was fine, threw the ball fine, but they just can't run the ball. And they haven't been able to against basically anybody in a couple of years now. It's sort of like UCLA's situation for the Bruin fans out there, just a little bit worse, honestly. Um, they are in deep, deep doo-doo, doo-doo from, a, from a running the ball perspective. Um, San Diego State really didn't do much to them uh, through the air. Um, did most of their damage on the ground and, and, frankly, just kind of forcing the issue, forcing Manny Mokins into a fumble. Um, it, was, uh, it was just a, a pretty pretty ugly game for asu this is maybe one of the uglier games i can remember them playing uh especially since they don't appear to be very hurt um so uh i don't know where arizona state goes from here but um you know at worst you know they're still a firm cut above oregon state um but that's about as good as you can say about them at this point yeah i thought manny wilkins looked pretty good from what i saw um san diego state only passed for 73 yards in this game dave uh they ran for 279 rashad penny so was it donnell pumphrey the last couple of years he was a stud this year it's rashad uh penny he had 216 yards and a touchdown and he caught a like a 40 yard touchdown or 39 yard touchdown something like that too so uh he looked uh really good arizona state make them look good i i you know i went looking back i kind of felt like Arizona State had this, you know, jumped out to a big lead and then just kind of took their foot off the gas uh, against New Mexico State. Um, and I thought they were just kind of like, get it going here. Obviously, that was not the case. Uh, Todd Graham, his days appear to be numbered uh, in the desert. So not not looking good for the Sun Devils right here. Yeah, and it wasn't like it was, you know, something where it was back and forth in the whole thing. San Diego State had the lead at the beginning, and then ASU kept trying to claw back, but this was pretty much a game controlled by San Diego State. At one point, it was 30-14, to 14, um, and, you know, ASU scored a late touchdown, but this was this was pretty comprehensive of a, of a win for San Diego State. So, 
Um, ASU now um, has what could end up being another tough game next week. Um, we'll see. Um, I haven't seen a whole lot of their opponent, Texas Tech. Uh, ASU is going on the road to Lubbock, which is always a bit of a, a concern. Um, this is a 5 p.m. game um, in Lubbock. Um, I don't even... This is how early we're doing this. I don't even have the friggin' TV schedule yet. Do you have a... Do you have a... Do you have a here, you, you talk about this game for a second okay. while I look up a better TV schedule. Yeah, I, that's funny. Yeah, so we are doing this fairly early, so we do apologize for that. And like I said, we'll put the picks up. Um... So the, the interesting thing about this is that uh, San Diego State ran all over Arizona State. Obviously, Texas Tech is a pass-first uh, sort of team, but I think they've played a little bit of defense uh, in one of the you know one of their earlier games. So we'll see uh, kind of what happens in this one. I'm not. This is one of those games. A lot of the Pac-12 teams that are playing out of conference games are going on the road this week. So there's a lot of road tests. This is not one of those road tests that I think the Sun Devils are going to pass. Yeah, I agree. And so it looks like this one is going to be on FS1, from what I can tell. Um, it's currently listed as FS Go Video, but that might be because there's an option yet on picking it up on the yeah. game network. But it looks like an FS1 game. Uh, yeah, I mean, Texas Tech is, uh, I think their defense is a little bit better this yeah, year. Um, I think so. so I, and Arizona State just looks not good. So I kind of figure that Texas Tech is going to be able to throw the ball on them and potentially shut down what is a one-dimensional offense so i gotta like texas tech here um i don't know what i would take them point spread wise but i think i would take them by a touchdown i think yeah. i would take a texas tech up to minus seven and then i'd think about the rest i wonder maybe we should like guess the point spreads uh i'm i'm guessing I think minus seven feels right yeah me. seven maybe ten it could creep up there i think i would take anything below 14 like i'm just i have no confidence in ASU right now, so yeah. Yeah, I think I'd probably do the same. I think, well, I, I don't know if I'd take a full fourteen, but up to like if it was thirteen and a half, thirteen, yeah. I would take Texas Tech. I think fourteen might be the number, so I would. Yeah, I would probably take up to that. No, could ASU turn things around? Like certainly, like when you got a back like Kalen Balage, like I don't know how he gets like eight touchdowns one game, and then there's like nothing the next. Game. Like I, this, it's just baffling to me. How they use the running backs and stuff here. Even with Oregon State, we got Ryan Nall and like, how is he not? You know, he's still among like the conference leaders in rushing and he didn't, uh, he didn't really do anything in that last game. So I, I don't know. I'm not sure what's going on here. If it's an offensive line problem or what, but there's, there's some problems in Tempe. For sure. All right. So should we move on our, uh, let's see. Our number 10 team is Arizona Wildcats. <laughs> This was another late-night Pac-12 game. There were like four of these games going on at once, so it was hard to get a great grasp of any one in particular, and we are recording this like 12 hours after they ended. So <laughs> um, I watched a good deal of this one, though. Um, Houston uh, beat Arizona 19-16. to You know, I, I thought Houston was going to go walk in and win. I actually thought there was a chance they might blow them out. I, I know it's a weird thing to be encouraged by like a 16-point performance for a Rich Rod team, but... I thought defensively they played pretty darn well. Um, they turned over uh, Kyle Allen a couple of times. Um, didn't let you know Houston do a whole lot through the air. Or, I mean, on the ground, yeah, they had 37 carries for 158 yards, but it could have been worse. Like, I mean, this was, I thought, a pretty credible defensive performance. The issue for them is they just couldn't really do what they needed to do 
through the air or on the ground. Um, you know, when you watch a Retrod team, you're expecting offensive firepower, and for them to be kind of controlled by what isn't a Power 5 defense, I, I think that's probably the, maybe the worrying sign for Arizona out of this. Just the, the offense still doesn't look quite right, um, and they have a dual-threat quarterback. Um, they have what should be the makings of a pretty good Rich Rod combo. It's just, for whatever reason, not quite clicking. Um, but I, I thought it was I, I thought it was encouraging defensively because um, I think Houston still has some playmakers. Um, Kyle Allen was once I mean, once upon a time, he was the number one quarterback in the nation on Scout.com. Um, so to to play pretty credibly against him, I thought was good. Um, but they've got to figure something out offensively heading into the conference season because um, they they just were not able to get it done against you know probably a defense that's would be middle of the pack in the Pac-12. Maybe a little bit worse than that. Yeah, so. you weren't really sure what to expect. Houston with Herman being gone, but like you said, I mean, this is a lower scoring game. We got this one right, right? We both took Houston minus yep. one. Yep, yep. Um, Dawkins, uh, got dinged a little bit. So Brandon Dawkins, the Arizona quarterback, and we got to see some Khalil Tate, who, who seemed like he was doing pretty well come in there. But like, I don't know, just th- things were kind of going a certain way. Arizona got that interception. I thought that was big. Houston looked like they were going in. They could have like took a commanding lead, but then. You know, so Arizona's the ball deep in their own territory. Then they cough it up, like right after that, and it's just like, just something. They was just not quite there. You know, it was. I mean, obviously, a three point game. You had chances to win. Um, it just couldn't quite get it done. I think if it's a little bit more of a dynamic offense, you do that. Um, the running, the JJ Taylor was a running back. He's if you ever watch him, he's kind of fun, like a little dude running around. Um, but you know, I I know he's got a whole bunch of new players on the roster. They're trying to incorporate everybody. Uh, but this was a game I thought was winnable. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I thought they had it, they had it there to win. Um, and if they'd just been able to do a little bit more offensively, um, it was there to have, I think what will turn out to be a pretty nice win. Cause I think Houston's going to end up pretty good. Um, you know, a good eight, maybe nine win team. So, um, missed an opportunity there, but I, I basically I, the reason they're number 10 and not number 11 is, I think we both felt a little bit more encouraged by their performance than we did about Arizona State against San Diego State. Yeah. Um, so this Friday, they take on UTEP on ESPN at 7.15. Um, UTEP's really bad. Here's how bad they are. They lost on the road at Oklahoma 56-7, to which, fine. You know what? You lost to Oklahoma. Oklahoma just beat Ohio State. They're really good. Right. Then they lost to Rice at home 31-14 this past week. Wait, didn't Rice get... Absolutely murdered. Murder stomped by, by Stanford. <laughs> yeah, they got murder stomped. Um, so this is a bad team. They're, they're, they're coming into this game demoralized because they've scored 21 points total through two full football games. Um, and Arizona State's defense looks all right. So, um, this kind of game, I would probably take Arizona up to minus nine or 10 because it's on the road and you never know how a team's going to play on the road. Um, but I'd feel pretty good about Arizona up to like minus 10 ish. Yeah. I feel about the same. I'm, I'm curious what the line will be. I don't know if it'll even be that high. This might be one of those ones where, cause it's on the road. It's a Friday night game, uh, yep. on the road. Um, so we'll see, we'll see kind of how this goes, but yeah, I would, if it's a big, big line, then probably have to think about it more, but yeah, anything up to double digits, I think I'm, I'm happy taking Arizona here. Cause there, it was almost there. Like there was, and I don't know, I think Dawkins came back in the game, right? I don't think it was, 
Um, he just got nicked up a little bit. I don't know if there's any kind of long-term things with that, but it, you know, if Khalil Tate has to start, whatever. Um, but I think yeah. either way, they'll, they'll, they should win that game yeah. and finish non-conference two and one. I think that's what they wanted going. I mean, obviously they wanted to go three and out, but I think two and one was the reasonable result to expect. I think they're on track, you know, to still try to do something in conference play and hopefully get to a bowl game this year. Okay. Uh, I think we're moving along pretty quickly, Dave. I like this. This is great pace. Great pace. Nice. Uh, our number nine team. California Golden Bears. So this game, I I tweeted Ryan, uh, I think it was deep in the third quarter, maybe entering the fourth. Hey, um, can you delete everything I said about <laughs> Cal last week? Because uh, these dudes were down to Weber State. Weber State, not Weber State. Weber State at halftime. It was 20 to 17. Uh, Cal ultimately won 33 20. But, okay, so I'll be honest, I didn't watch much beyond like the very end of this game. Um, but I was tracking kind of the like lowlights or the highlights, whatever you want to call them. Um, just a really, really strange game. But defensively, Cal was a struggle bus. Um, they gave up 431 <laughs> yards through the air. 140 yards on the ground. So everything that we were kind of encouraged about last week, um, where they were bringing some pressure and doing, you know, doing some nice things against North Carolina, um, none of that showed up in this game. Um, and Weber State was able to control the game for most of the first half. Um, Cal just kind of just wasn't able to get it done, and they lost. I mean, granted, Cal lost, I think, or, yeah, they lost one fumble. They were, they had a, a good deal of yeah, they, they lost one fumble, it looks like, from Ross Bowers. But, I mean, it just was not a pretty game for them. Um, and Weber State isn't supposed to be some great FCS school. This is this is a bad FCS school, or historically just not very good. So um, to massively outgain Cal, um, control the clock, uh, they turned the ball over three times. If they hadn't done that, I mean, Cal could have suffered. I mean, this would have been one of the worst losses we would have remembered at yeah. home. Um, cause there was no line on this game even. Like the, the, the better, the bet, the odds makers were just like, no, we're not going to put up a line for this one. <laughs> just, and it's, I mean, that was just ugly. I watched a surprising amount of this game, like more than you would think. Cause I, like I just had it kind of on my tablet and then it just became one of those things like, wow, Cal's losing. And, uh, so I think I watched like most of the second quarter and I had, I think I had the whole game on like while USC was playing, uh, Stanford. So I was, you know, Kind of checking it out. It was one of those, you get the feeling that was like Weber State was just pulling out all the stops. Like they ran like a fake field goal. They did an onside kick early in the game. Um, like they were just really, and I think they just kind of kept Cal off balance and they just, you know, they were able to get the upper hand and keep that lead for quite a while. And then, like you said, it was 431 yards, right? That's what they threw for, passed for in yeah. this game. I mean, oh, yeah. that's a freaking, that's a crap load. Uh, now Trey Watson, I believe was banged up. So they had um, Patrick Laird go in, who was a former walk-on. I think he got his scholarship in fall camp. But he had 192 rushing yards, uh, three touchdowns. So like on 12 carries, 12 <laughs> carries. That's I mean, a pretty good average. That's that's ridiculous, you know. So he's like the he was like the Ryan Nall this week that was not with with no Ryan Nall. Um, and I think the first touchdown. Uh, I think it was scored on like a double reverse, uh, for Cal. So there was some weird stuff going on, uh, in this game, but yeah, they, you know, they can't, they got at the end, 
but it's not one of those ones you're going to feel good about. Like, oh, Cal's back. They're going to be great. I, you know, hats off to Justin Wilcox for being two and zero. I mean, you know, you, you could have been zero and two, but uh, maybe not against Weber State. But still, <laughs> it's uh, it's going to be tougher next week, I think, and uh, we'll 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 get a better feel. A lot of credit for the win at North Carolina. This one's more of a head scratcher. Yeah, yeah, very much a head scratcher. Um, and now they're firmly back in the I don't know what to expect from them. Yeah. Uh, this Saturday, I don't even know how much clarity it's going to give us. At 7:30 on ESPN, Ole Miss is coming to town. Um, at Berkeley, uh, both teams are two and zero. Both teams are a really questionable two and zero. Um, Ole Miss struggled with um whatever USA stands for. South Alabama in week one. Tennessee um, Martin. And, and then they oh. struggled with Tennessee Martin. Last week, um, the 45-23 score at the end doesn't really give a great indication of how that game went. Uh, Ole Miss was up 17-16 at halftime, um, kind of blew them away in the third quarter, but they were struggling in that first half. Um, I I don't know what to expect from a line for this one. I actually think it'll be pretty close to like, a, you know, maybe Ole Miss will be favored by a couple of points on the road, but um, I think it'll be reasonably close to a pick em. Um because Ole Miss Ooh. just hasn't looked quite right if you've watched either of those two games. Uh, they do have probably the best player for either side in this game, uh, Shea Patterson, their QB. Um, he was electric uh, last week, or this yesterday, yesterday, against uh, UTM. Um, so uh, I think I would take like an Ole Miss minus three. I think anything beyond that, I would probably lean towards Cal. I think I'm going Ole Miss like up to like a touchdown or even maybe like, maybe up to like nine points. Like I just feel, I don't feel that confidence about Cal. Um, now this is one of the rare ones this week. A lot of the, the Pac-12 out of conference games are on the road. This was a home game. And if you look at Ole Miss's schedule after Cal, they play at, uh, Alabama, um, they get a bye week, but they play at Alabama and then at Auburn. Um, so will there be a look ahead since there's a bye week? Probably not. Um, but those are some pretty big road games looming. So that's three tough games in a row for Ole Miss. But I, I kind of feel that you're going to get like the full attention and Shea Patterson covered his recruitment. Um, USC was recruiting him and stuff. He was just an absolute stud. I would go to some of the Steve Clarkson, uh, camps that he would go through. Him and Khalil Tate were doing stuff and like he was just like, he was the best player I'd seen. Like he was amazing. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, I think I kind of feel Ole Miss is going to roll on this one, Dave, but we'll, we'll see what, when the line comes out, but I, I'll probably take Ole Miss almost unless it's some crazy line. Wow. I, I, I just can't be that much of a weather vane after talking up Cal so much, even though they did <laughs> suck against a garbage team this past Saturday. <laughs> anyway, Cal play better. Yeah. Play better, Cal. Uh, this one's a little bit of a uh, surprise at number eight. Uh, dropping down a little bit. Uh, we'll see. We have, if I can find the button, which apparently I cannot. Where did I put Okay, sorry. Colorado Buffalo. So this is partially me just bitterly dropping a team for not kicking a field goal at the end and instead... <laughs> running a play on fourth and six or whatever. Hey, you know, keep the point spread in mind, Colorado, okay? 
I, I was I was that play. I mean, all right. So let's. What was this? So thirty-five and a half. Fourth, fourth and six at the Texas State twenty-six. Oh yeah, of course. The the line was thirty-five and a half. Um, Colorado beat Texas State by thirty-four. Whatever. Who cares? It was a blowout. I nailed it. Um, <laughs> and so on the Texas State twenty-seven, fourth and six. They try to, they, they, instead of just kicking a field goal, just kick a field goal, right? Just kick a field goal. They run a pass play, uh, doesn't get to the sticks, um, and they turn it over on downs. Um, they were, they were that play away from giving me the cover here. Um, and this was one of the few areas where Ryan and I differed last week. Um, so Colorado, I watched actually a really stupid amount of this game because it was the only <laughs> thing on that I cared about. Um, and I am as, you all know, a longtime Colorado fan. Uh, Colorado's offense is not at all what we expected. Um, and through the first half, it was really struggling against Texas State, just not in sync, um, not looking particularly good. And then in the second half, it really did start to move. Uh, Steven Montez, I think, really started to hit his stride a little bit um, in that second half, um, started to throw the ball with a little bit more authority, um, was making things happen. Um and I, I thought it was a nice moment for them in the second half, just being able to put up 17 points in that third quarter. Um, and they did it kind of through the air. Um, Steven Montez's connection with Bryce Bobo, especially, it's just really impressive what Bobo's able to do. Um, very athletic, great body control, could just go up and get anything. Um, and Shea Fields also looked really good. Um, defensively, actually, has been probably the best thing for Colorado so far, and it was not expected to be because they lost, I think, nine starters from last year or eight starters from last year um, and their defensive coordinator. But through, you know, two games now, uh, Colorado's been pretty lights out defensively. Um, you know, Texas State was able to do some stuff on the ground, but for the most part, um, they shut them down um, and gave the offense time to work and uh, ultimately ended up with a nice win, just not nice enough for my purposes. Yeah, this was, it was perfect for me. Um, I, so I got to watch the early part of the game and there was like no score in the first quarter. And then, you know, I knew I, I had a 35 and a half point cushion. I'm like, Oh, I feel good about this. And then, uh, um, they, they scored. I think it was like a fluke fumble, fumble return. Like they fumbled a punt return. Uh, and then one of the other Colorado players picked it up and returned it for a touchdown right, right, right before the first quarter. And it's like, crap, like that's going to hurt. And, uh, and actually, um, Texas State drove down the field on the very first drive. They had like a 50 yard run. And then the kicker like hooked a field goal as bad as you could hook it. It was like awful. So I was like, this isn't boding well for me covering. I'm like, I just, if, if Texas State can just score a couple times, there's no way Colorado's going to cover. Yep. And they didn't score. So they scored yep. once. Um, so it was kind of weird, but like that Bobo catch was absolutely sick. I think it was like a third down play too. It looked like Colorado was going to, I mean, uh, Texas State was going to get them off the field and. They move the sticks and end up scoring there. Um, so I got to watch, you know, some of the early stuff at home. And then once I got there, it was hard to kind of watch the end, but I was getting Twitter updates from David at the end of the game about, you know, they kicked a field goal. I think they kicked like two field goals in a row and, uh, then went for it on that fourth down one, but just phew, snuck out a win there. That was, uh, oh, God, I, I hated it so much. Um, so Colorado, um, we're not going to talk about this really at all, but uh, Colorado next plays um, on Saturday at 11 a.m. on the Pac-12 Network. Northern Colorado is coming to town, and I would take Colorado minus anything. Yeah. Well, I would take Colorado minus like 33, definitely not 35 and a half. Um, that would just be silly. 
Yeah, and then so the problem here is that like yeah they'll steamroll northern colorado whatever what what are we going to learn from that probably nothing and then they host washington a week 4 so it's like how much are we going to know about colorado by then like we know no. that the the offense isn't as good as we thought we know that the defense is probably better than we thought will montez be like you know peak form by then and and the offense will be kind of where we thought they were will the defense come back a little bit i don't know um i kind of feel like the offense is wasn't where we thought it would be, but it's improving. And the defense maybe is just going to be, it's just this, it's a scheme thing. It's a system thing. Even though all that senior leadership is gone, even though Levitt's gone, uh, it's still going to be, that's the mentality that McIntyre's instilled and they're still going to be good. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll know. We won't know. I don't think a lot about this team till week four. Yeah. And I would say, um, like we said last week, this, like starting with Colorado and ending with, I think probably our number four, even our number three team. This is a really close group. Yes. Like, I don't know who I would take over who in any particular game at this point. Um, these, I think next six teams with Colorado included, you just don't know. Yeah. Um, and I think they're all pretty close to each other. Yeah. And we actually, I talked about this with Kyle too. There was like, there's all these teams that are like in the same kind of tier. So we have the, all these teams in this tier and it's starting now. So we had, uh, so our number seven team we have Utah Utes. All right, so another game that kind of went as I expected. I actually thought Utah would pull away more, but, you know, honestly, this score was a little deceptive. Utah went into Provo, uh, beat BYU 19-13, to but I don't think that gives a really great indication of how much they controlled this game. Um, they, I mean, let's just go, I mean, total yardage isn't the best stat in the world, but let's just go by this for a second. Uh, Utah um, had 430 yards, BYU had 233. Um now, Utah ended up with a lot of field goals where they could have probably, you know, with a little bit more offensive efficiency, punched in for touchdowns. And then suddenly this looks more like a 30 to 13 game, which I think is much more reflective of the way the game went. Uh, Utah dominated. I love Tyler Huntley. Love that guy. Um, runs the ball. Um, makes really efficient, nice throws in the passing game. Um, he's, I mean, he, I, I think he's their answer at quarterback. Um, much more so than Troy Williams ever really was. Um, he really gives them a dynamic dual threat at the QB spot. Um, and it's, it was, it was impressive to watch him. And I think as he grows in the system, he's going to make better decisions on third downs and make better decisions, um, when they're in the red zone and they're going to put more touchdowns up on the board. I don't think this 19 points is a reflection of, you know, what Utah's offense is going to be by the end of the year. I think they're going to be a lot better than this. Um, BYU, I mean, I, I don't like this team at all. I mean, they're not able to run the ball. Tanner Mangum does not look like the same guy as he was a couple years ago when he came in and filled in for Taysom Hill. Um, and uh, Utah was generally able to shut them down pretty consistently across the board. Um, this was, I thought, the score isn't reflective of it, but I thought this was a really, really encouraging win for Utah, the way they beat them. Um, and I think it's a, a sign of uh, good things going forward for them. We both got this right, right? I think BYU was favored by one. Is what we <laughs> BYU was favored by one, which was the stupidest line I can remember being set, aside from Oregon State being favored by two. Yeah, and this is the seventh time that Utah's beat BYU in a row. Um, I think Kalani Sataki will do good things, but like you said, the, the offense was butt. It just didn't look good at all. Uh, Utah got three picks, and, they, man, they, they would just play their man-to-man stuff, bring pressure. Like, they just... Utah's defense was just flying all over the place. Uh, I thought they played really well. 
Uh, Huntley was amazing, like you said. I mean, you know, here's this kid comes in a second start, 27 of 36. So he completed 75% of his passes. Not like he threw 20 passes. You know, he threw 36 passes, 300 yards. Uh, he ran 19 times for 89 more yards and a touchdown. Um, that's pretty darn good for your second start ever, right? Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's great. He was great. And then, you know, Darren Carrington, another 100 yard game, seven receptions, 129 yards. So, uh, that's a huge transfer. You know, imagine what Oregon's offense would be if they still had him. Uh, and I'm not sure what Utah's offense would be without him. So it's, that's a big, uh, play in the conference. But yeah, Utah didn't look like it could have been worse. Um, so we'll see, you know, some red zone stuff, maybe clean up a few things. Uh, but they, you know, we're not going to see them get really tested probably till week six when they play Stanford. That's going to be after a bye. So, uh, this Utah team's looking up. I mean, they, you know, they should be, uh, four and oh after a bye going and playing Stanford. So that, that'll be a really good one in week six. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's one of those things where again, we, we walked into this year probably looking at Utah's, yeah, we'll, we'll see what they look like. Maybe a seven and five, eight and four team. And now it's obvious that they're going to contend. I mean, I think USC, we'll talk about USC in a second, but I think they're going to be a strong contender for number two in the South. Um, and who knows? Weird stuff has happened, but uh, they, they look good so far. So they play on Saturday at 7 p.m. on ESPN2. This is at Salt Lake City. San Jose State coming to town. Um, San Jose State, let's just pull this up because I want to get this score right. They lost to Texas 56 to Nothing yesterday. <laughs> um, they lost to USF 42 to 22 in week one, and then they beat Cal Poly 34 to 13. Uh, San Jose State is bad. Very, very bad. Um, Texas isn't great, um, and they beat them again 56 to nothing. So I would have Utah, ooh, I would take Utah solidly minus 27. Yeah. I think so. Beyond I think that, if you get the, it would be a little rough, but minus twenty-seven for sure. Yeah, four touchdowns might be tough. I don't think they'll set the line that high, just because Utah, you know, um, doesn't really score that much. No, but it's hard to. There'd have to be a lot of points for me to want to take San Jose State in this one. So, this is kind of cool talking about before the lines come out, and then we can kind of see like, oh, we thought the line would be this. I it, never want to do it again. I never want to do it again. It's so much. It's so hard. So it hard is. I mean, Vegas is very good at what they do. Like. If you saw like the, the USC picks and stuff and everyone's like, and we were like, how the heck is USC favored by a touchdown? You know, um, Vegas didn't build all those casinos for, because they're idiots. So yeah, they know some stuff sometimes. Okay. Uh, so yeah, we would both, we'll see what the line is, but yeah, it'd have to be huge for us to not. Yeah. We'll, we'll tweet out our picks, um, as soon as the lines start trickling out on Monday. Okay. So we're in the top half now. And like I said, these are all kind of in the same group. Uh, but number six, we have UCLA Bruins. All right. UCLA had Hawaii coming to town. Um, and UCLA beat the living P out of Hawaii 56 to 23. Uh, Josh Rosen played the best football game I have ever seen him play. Um, and yeah, it's against Hawaii. So you got to take it with a small grain of salt, but 22 of 25 for five touchdowns and 329 yards doing that like against a group of like third graders that you're playing isn't easy um and doing it against an fbs defense that was trying to stop you uh that was that was impressive as hell um 
he was really good. Um, the passing attack in general was just, I, I thought, it was w- one of the more exciting aerial displays for UCLA in quite some time. Um, basically, everything else about the game was not great for UCLA. Uh, they ran the ball okay, um, nothing special, and against Hawaii, they probably should have run it better. Defensively, they've got a ton of issues. Uh, they gave up a lot on the ground again to Hawaii. Um, that nickel defense is just not cutting it against the run uh, the way it did last year, likely because they're without Jayon Brown, um, who's now in the NFL. Um, but their linebacker play just hasn't been strong. And uh, Hawaii was able to get some stuff through the air, too, because UCLA actually suffered a couple of injuries, too. Both of its starting safeties in this game, Adarius Pickett went down with what appeared to be a right knee injury. Jaleel Wadud went down with what appeared to be a concussion. And middle linebacker Kenny Young, or weak side linebacker, depending on when they're in nickel and when they're not, uh, Kenny Young went down with what looked like a concussion as well. They were already without Boss Tagaloa. They're starting nose tackles. So by the end of this game, they were down four starters. Um, and then Josh Woods, one of their other starting linebackers, uh, was ejected from the game for targeting, and he'll miss the first half next week. So a uh, lot going wrong. Hawaii was able to get some stuff through the air um, because of a lot of those absences, and probably because Hawaii's got a pretty good offense itself. Um, but Rosen being able to throw the ball the way he was able to throw it, uh, it makes me think that UCLA has, is going to have a lot of shootout potential this year. If he can get teams into a shootout where, you know, they're not putting a ton of pressure on him and he can sit back there and throw, he's got the arm talent and clearly the ability to dissect the defense that he might keep UCLA in games this year where they have no right to be in that game, um, because their defense is not great. Their run game is not great, but Rosen, might very well be, and I'll eat my words from earlier in the year. He might very well be the best quarterback in college football. Yeah, uh, I didn't get to watch. I got to see the highlights. I didn't get to watch any of this, but apparently, a 99-yard opening drive that seemed pretty good, right? Yeah, yeah, they were. I mean, it, it, his his play gave it like the feeling of inevitability. You know, when you get that <laughs> sometimes when, a, when an offense is just so locked in that it's like, oh yeah, they're gonna score. Just wherever they start on the field, they're going to score. And Hawaii's defense isn't good. Like, don't like, don't get it all twisted up in your head. I'm not saying that like they're going to, you know, do that against every team. But the way Rosen played in this game makes me think that even against good defenses, he's going to be productive. Um, it's going to be hard to make him unproductive. I mean, you can play 88% of your passes on air. That's pretty good. Um, doing it against the defenses, that's that's pretty nutty. Yeah, they scored uh, apparently on eight straight drives. That's pretty good. And uh, I That's saw not bad. Caleb Wilson <laughs> threw a. It wasn't for, didn't go for a touchdown, but he threw a pass. And of course, he's my guy. I mean, he's the uh, his he was the son of one of the coaches at USC as a walk on tight end. Uh, we covered him at Sarah, and he was a quarterback there for a while. And uh, definitely pulling for him. But he's he's been huge uh, for UCLA. How, how was his game overall? Was it pretty good or? He was good. He was bracketed a little bit, so they went more to Theo Howard um, in the passing game, especially early. But he got a couple of looks late. He got a touchdown. Um, but they they found they're they're finding ways to use guys and use their skills. You know, they knew Caleb Wilson could throw the ball, so why not find him a position where he can, you know, on a trick play, a little pass back, um, throw the ball across the field to Nate Starks for I think it was like a thirty yard reception. Um, and you know, they did a lot of stuff like that. They got Demetric Felton in the game as kind of a running back. Um, you know, he plays receiver, but they got him in as a running back because they wanted to use his speed and his running back skill set on a little toss play. Um, so th- they were doing some interesting thing off- things offensively. Um, but, yeah, you got to like Caleb Wilson and everything he's brought to the table through two games. And then Theo Howard had an excellent game as well. 
And then uh, Darnay Holmes had the intercept, right? Intercept for a touchdown, right? Yep. He had a pick six, and then he also had a uh, kickoff return for about 54 yards that he was like just a shoelace away from breaking for a touchdown. Nice. So he's going to be a he's going to be a star playmaker um, on special teams for UCLA, and who knows? Maybe maybe at some point he will get some looks on offense. The uh, the targeting, I I saw the replay and stuff. It kind of seemed like it, but maybe it was. I don't know, but it seemed like it was targeted. But Jim Moore was definitely not happy with the rule. He's he is not happy that he's going to be missing the uh, first half on the road against Memphis. Jim Moore is rarely happy, uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I, it was more of the context. So if you watch the early part of this game, uh, Kenny Young, when he got hurt, he was hit kind of blindsided. It was a blindside block um, where he was going in for what he was trying to tackle and somebody hit him from the blind side and they hit him in the head. Um, it was like right in the, in the helmet, right around his chin. And it literally knocked his helmet off. Um, and they didn't call a penalty or review it for car targeting. Um, and it was obvious targeting. It was an obvious like spear. Um, and that's, you know, that's an issue. So, um, then to have Josh Woods go out on a, tar- and I think it was, a I think it was a legitimate targeting call, but have him go out on something that was, probably a little bit more questionable than even the the play where there was no penalty called i think that's what probably sticks in his craw because you know that that early play that knocked out kenny young should have been targeting and should have had that player ejected and then to have josh woods go out on something that's a little bit more iffy i think that um was probably the reason for the anger all right and then so tough test against memphis i'm not sure you know on the road i don't know what the line i mean i'm I'd have to look at the line and I, I can't even fathom what the line is going to be here. But, um, I, I think earlier we were both were feeling like, eh, this is a game UCLA could go on the road and lose. And maybe you still feel that way, but I, I kind of feel better about it now. I feel better that, you know, UCLA could go on and, uh, put up a bunch of points and, uh, maybe cover a decent line. I, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be interesting. We don't know what to make of Memphis because they had their game on Friday canceled against UCF. Um, this one, by the way, is 9 a.m. ABC in Memphis. Um, don't know what to make of Memphis. They didn't look good in week one. Didn't play this past week. Uh, their offense should be pretty good this year. Um, defensively, not great. Um, but yeah, I think it'll have shootout potential. Um, I think Memphis will probably be able to move the ball against UCLA because most teams have been able to so far this year. They're probably a cut above um, Hawaii from a talent perspective. So I, I would have, you know, now having watched UCLA. Um, I feel better about UCLA's offense than I did heading into the year. Um, I had this game picked as a loss originally. Um, now, you know, if UCLA is favored by three points, I'd probably take them. If they're favored by more than that, I'd probably lean towards Memphis. But I think UCLA could win, you know, like a, a, a three or four point win here. Well, I, I still feel on this one, I think I'd take UCLA almost a similar other game, like up to at least six and like six and a half, I, I would. I'm a noted skeptic. Seven, seven of, I don't know. Like seven might be tough, but I, I kind of think I would. I almost to like, I think up to 10, I think I would take them. So. Okay. Um, but I, I have no idea what the line's going to be. We just don't know much about Memphis, like you said, when you get a game canceled and, uh, and, you know, the whole dreaded 9 a.m. traveling east is never, uh, that's never fun. That's never easy, but. No, and that's, that's always a factor here, whether the, the team will kind of show up ready to play um, for a 9 a.m. game. That's just, you know, it's never, 
it's it's always a tricky one for for the uh, West Coast team. You know, Cal did it a couple of weeks ago, so there's that to take from. And Cal is not very good, as we just saw. <laughs> yeah. So uh, maybe UCLA can do it. Um, I think I, I would probably put this game in the win column now. I'm just not sure exactly at what level I would take them. Um, I think minus three. I think minus seven might be a little rich for me. All right. Another one of these out-of-conference road games for the conference this week. Uh, let's see. We'll go on to number five, and we have Oregon Ducks. So I watched as much of this game as I could. It was on concurrently with, um, I believe, the UCLA game. Um, but I got like the first half hour and then bits and pieces throughout the game. Uh, Oregon beat Nebraska 42 to 35. Um, so the interesting part for Oregon is that they looked like they were running away with this in the first half, and then they didn't score a point in the second half. Um, it was 42 to 14 at halftime, and then Nebraska scored 21 unanswered to finish it out. It's a really bad finish and close for Oregon. Um, you know, Nebraska really just ran out of time because they were, they seemed to have figured out a little bit of what Oregon was trying to do offensively. Um, and, you know, there were multiple play, multiple drives where Oregon just really wasn't able to move the ball much at all. Um, they had a couple of turnovers. Um, I think there was one pick, uh, another fumble. Um, also drives, there was a, four-play, four-yard drive. There was a three-play, 20-yard drive. There was a three-play, four-yard drive. Uh, just not moving the ball anywhere near as well as they did in the first half. Um, for the positive for Oregon, I think Justin Herbert is a dude. Um, he had a great first half, was even okay in the second half, um, threw three touchdowns, um, uh, 25 of 33 for 365 yards, so he hit above that 10 yards per pass attempt magic number. Um, which you're always trying to get to. Uh, Royce Freeman had another good day, um, but they just weren't able to continue that production in the second half. Um, Nebraska, uh, they, they were fine offensively, but I thought it was really more of a, 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 a state where their defense um, kind of started to shut down Oregon in the second half. Um, I actually thought Nebraska would be able to move the ball a little bit more against Oregon. Um, their quarterback play was actually pretty bad i mean it was uh their quarterback um i think is travis lee what's his name taylor lee tanner lee that's right Tanner Lee. Okay. Uh, he was 19 of 41 um with four picks um which isn't good that's not playing the quarterback position the way you'd want to um and they weren't able to run the ball all that much it was more question more uh, just the case that their defense was able to uh to shut down oregon a little bit in the second half but Oregon came away with the win um, against Nebraska, and I think you've got to like that. But I think the way they finished that game leaves a lot to uh, to improve upon for Willie Taggart. That's a horrible non-cover for us. Like you know, it's forty-two to fourteen. You're like, we got it. This is good. And then, no, no, no points in the second. How does that is that possible? The numbers are very skewed. I mean, you look at the yardage: five hundred sixty-six yards of offense for Oregon to 361 for Nebraska. Um, Nebraska turned the ball over four times and Oregon twice. So you look at those. Now, Oregon did have 12 penalties for 103 yards, so we got some Pac-12 officiating stuff going on there. Um, And Royce Freeman, he looks back, 153 yards, two touchdowns, so that's good. I think Oregon certainly needed that. Um, But you got to be able to finish games, and they just did not look good. Uh, in the second half, I don't know. You know, Larry Scott was there at the game, Dave. Maybe uh, that had something to do with it. But this this one was on the TV, like above my head, while the the USC game. While I was in the press box, so I got to I tried to watch as much as I could, and just keep saying, "Man, what's going on here?" And uh, Oregon, 
they did not, they shouldn't have won by seven. They should have definitely won by more. So that, that was a little disappointing. Yeah, but I mean, Nebraska did have the ball, um, at their own 43 with, I think like, what was it, like 225 to go? Like they had the ball with the chance to tie. And I mean, Tanner Lee was intercepted again, uh, right at the end. But <laughs> like there was, I mean, this, this had the potential for a major collapse there at the end. So good thing that they didn't do it, but, um, definitely some stuff to build on for Oregon as they head in to next week's play where they are going to be taking on Wyoming on the road. Um, so this is never super easy um, going on the road to what is not a Power 5 school. Um, this is on at 4 p.m. on CBS Sports Network um, in Laramie, Wyoming. So Wyoming hasn't looked as good as people were maybe expecting. There was a lot of hype around Wyoming as a potential, you know, lower level school that's going to really put up some numbers this year. Uh, they lost to Iowa 24 to three in week one. Um, and Iowa was, you know, decent enough, but, uh, that wasn't as good a showing as many were expecting. Um, and then they beat, I think Gardner Webb. Yeah. They beat yes. Gardner last week, uh, 27 to nothing. Um, but I think the, the state of the Oregon offense leads me to believe that they're going to blow away Wyoming. I just don't think a team like Wyoming can keep up. Um, in a shootout against a team like Oregon. Now that said, Oregon's second half offense wasn't great. Um, but I think they'll probably, um, look a little bit more like the first half version of themselves and the version that played last week against Southern Utah, uh, than the one that played in the second half last week. So I would probably take Oregon up. I mean, it's on the road against the team that is well coached. Um, I would probably take Oregon kind of what we did this past week, like minus 13, minus 14. I think beyond that, I might lean towards Wyoming, but at minus 14, I think I'm still taking Oregon. Yeah, I think about even up to 10, I might start taking Wyoming. Now, it's hard to tell, and you know we haven't seen Willie Taggart go on the road yet. This will be the first road test. If you don't know, Wyoming's got the, the quarterback prospect that everybody, the NFL guys drool over Josh Allen, um, but you know hasn't like exactly lit it on fire, did not look good against Iowa. Um it takes more than just a quarterback to be uh, good. He's one of those guys that, you know, people have been drooling over. So the road factor and the fact that, you know, you do have this, you know, one of the better quarterbacks in the country, uh, I would be a little wary going up to 14, but we'll see. I'm curious what the line uh, is going to be. Um, I kind of feel like this is going to be a closer game, but I think up to 10 or so, I would take, I would still take Oregon here. Okay. Yeah. If that, uh, that works that, for you, Dave. Fine, fine, that's fine. Okay, uh, our number four team, and uh, we'll talk about them in a minute. Stanford Cardinal. Well, let's let's preview their game at least. Um, so we'll talk about their uh, their 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 game this past week in a little bit. But let's let's preview what they're going to do this Saturday. Um, they're taking on San Diego State on the road at 7:30 p.m. on CBS Sports Network. Uh, San Diego State, we just talked about them. They looked pretty tough against ASU. Um, and Stanford has to go on the road after suffering, um, uh, I would have to think is a pretty demoralizing defeat, uh, to USC. Uh, San Diego State just showed that it can run the ball pretty well. Um, yeah, it was against, um, ASU, which doesn't have a great defense, but, um, if Stanford's run D looks at all like that against teams that are not named USC, uh, this could get interesting. Um, 
I'm actually, this is one of those lines I'm really interested to see what it's going to look like um, because we just got a lot of information about both of these teams this past week. Yes. Stanford is not as good as we thought, um, and certainly their run defense has some question marks, and San Diego State is probably better than Vegas thought. So I, I don't think San Diego State's going to be favored, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's something more like Stanford minus like four. Oh, uh, yeah. And at that point, I'm not really willing to go back on our, our estimation of Stanford quite yet, so I'd probably take Stanford still. Um, but this would be one to watch. I think this was going to be a very fun game to watch. Here's the thing. I'll, I'll take Stanford up to, I'm still going to be, uh, high on Stanford. Um, you know, I, I talked to Dave, maybe putting Stanford number three. Uh, but the, my, the main reason we, we put him at four is because the Stanford band did not perform at halftime in the USC game. So. <laughs> Uh, that was terrible. I don't, I think we actually talked to RJ Abadie in the, the press box about it. And he said he wasn't sure either. He said, if I tweet the band, um, they'll usually respond right away. I'm like, even during the game, he's like, yeah. So I tweeted the band. I don't think they responded, but you know, get a lot of mentions during the game. So I might have missed it. But, um, the thought is like they were, they couldn't travel last year. Maybe this year they can travel, but not necessarily perform on the road. Um, so maybe that's it. I'm not really sure. But okay, so for the the San Diego State game, yes, uh, they were able to run the football last week, but it was a one dimensional uh, offense. I kind of feel the Stanford run defense is going to play a lot better when there's no Sam Darnold that can beat you. Also, you know, so um, so yeah. I I think I'd take Stanford up to like fourteen. Damn, damn. We'll see. All right, you're not trusting. You're not having much faith in San Diego State going on the road to Tempe, beating ASU by ten. That's that's true. They did it, but that was Tempe. This is this is a lot of disrespect for ASU here. That's what this, this is. This is. I I did. I'm my gut feeling is Stanford still like can still win the North. Like it's still an elite team. Oh yeah, so. yeah, for sure. And I mean, this was a game that I had. I mean, Stanford losing to USC was something I had in the preseason. Um, but I, the way they lost is giving me a little bit of pause. It was yes. It was uh, yeah. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but um. So, and this was funny. We'll have to give you the story about this one, uh, where the rankings are. But number, our number three team, Washington State Cougars. Oh, Washington State making everything interesting late at night. Uh, Washington State went triple overtime <laughs> with Boise State, uh, beat them 47 44. This is one I got right and you got wrong. Boo. And here's the like stunning part of all this for me is, uh, Washington State was down at one point. Here, let me let me pull it up because I, I don't want to get this wrong. Uh, Washington State was down at one point, thirty-one to ten, um, <laughs> after Boise State returned a fumble for uh, by Luke Falk uh, for a touchdown with ten fifty-three to go in the fourth quarter. Um, they were down despite not playing against Boise State's starting quarterback for like most of this game. Um, Brett Rippin, Ripen. Ripian, what do you think? I, I don't know, actually. I'm not sure. Well, he he went down, and Montel Cozart came in, uh, who's much more of a dual threat, and it was like Washington State had never seen a running quarterback before because um, he was able to make plays with his legs, then was able to do stuff through the passing game, um, and he's actually the one who really extended the lead for Boise State. Um, Washington State looked like it was sleepwalking at the half. Leach was hilarious. He was... You know, what's, it was something like, what's Boise State doing to stop your offense? And like, he said something like, they're just not, 
we're just not playing any offense. We got to start playing offense or something like that in his typical leech way. But it was, uh, yeah, they weren't very good. Luke Falk went down in this game. Tyler Holinsky had to come in and he actually looked okay. Um, but Luke Falk just took a beating in this one. Um, but Washington State showed a lot of fortitude coming back. They weren't able to run the ball at all. Um, they ran it 27 times for 22 yards. Boise State shut that down. Uh, Boise State looked a lot more balanced. Boise State, frankly, looked like the better team. Um, so for Washington State to come back the way they did and then um, and then pull ahead in overtime and win this game, I thought it was a good gut check for them. Uh, but they've got a lot to figure out. They've got to be able to start games a little bit quicker than that on offense. And uh, they, I, I, I'm not sure if they can count on the same sort of running game that they had last year where they, you know, reasonably were a pretty good running team. Um, I don't know if they can count on that. And uh, defensively, I didn't think they were very good, um, and uh, that's going to be something they need to figure out. But it was a nice win um, and a nice kind of like fortitude checker, uh, but uh, a lot to worry about coming out of this one for Washington State. I think Boise cooged it. Like we, you know, I was watching with – Yeah, Boise cooged it yeah, hard. I was watching with Kyle in the press box, and we're like finishing up our stories, and this is total Pac-12 after dark. And, Kyle, you know – Kyle went to Washington State, so he has, you know, he covers the Pac-12, but he, obviously there was some interest in this game. He's watching on his phone, I'm watching on my tablet, and we're kind of going back and forth, and, uh, and, you know, th- didn't think I was covering this one, cause this was a, uh, favored by 10, like Boise State was getting 10, right? And you picked Boise, yeah. and I took, uh, I had Leach. I'm really surprised, like, James Williams, Jamal Morrow, you expect these guys to have huge games. They had 22 rushing yards, like, are you kidding me? Like, something is seriously wrong. There. And then, uh, for Washington State to be able to come back and win this one, the most, it's, it was almost crazier than like the UCLA game, uh, against Texas A&M. It's a different sort of thing, but, uh, Washington State gets a pick six. So like, this is in the final minutes of the game. Then they had a fourth and 20 and they're like thinking about going for it. They bring out a formation and they eventually punt and the ball hits a guy in the back. Yeah. They, they get the ball back. <laughs> it's like, what? Uh, you know, they score and, um, you know, they, there was a touch, you know, it looked like there was a touchdown and there, you know, they got, like there was, uh, a replay and they ended up getting a touchdown. I think it was a triple overtime stuff. It was just all this crazy stuff happening at the end of the game. No way in hell should Washington State have won this game. They did. So over, like, win wise, this is great for the conference. Like, this is one of the ranked teams for the Pac 12 that beat an FCF school now and now beat like a good, uh, group of five school and that they shouldn't have won. So this was a, this was a gift. Uh, from Boise State. So good for the conference. But the funny thing at the end was like, there's no way I'm covering 10 points, but then it got to overtime and I'm like, this could actually happen, Dave. So I needed Washington State to score like a touchdown and, and then, then pick and then do like a pick six or something. Yeah. And we actually got a tweet from somebody. Um, let me find it real quick. So we got a tweet from somebody asking like, Hey, is that, is there like a record? Uh, makes me, this is from Matthew. Makes me wonder what the greatest margin of victory has been in an overtime game. Got to be 13 points, right? I would think it was 13. Thir- I, I guess it could be 14 if they went for two on the first touchdown. Yeah. And then returned a touchdown for six. Right. I think that would be the max. And, uh, but I, I remember a USC game, I think it was in the nineties. Like it might have been like Jake the Snake. Like it was in Tempe and the same thing happened. It was like a turnover. So it ended up being like a 13 point game. Uh, I'd have to look it up. I don't know, but it was like in the late nineties, 13 point game in overtime, uh, beca- because of that. So that was my only, that was my, that's what I was rooting for at the end day, but it didn't happen. No, didn't happen. Cause, uh, cause I got that one right. <laughs> um, 
All right, so Washington State takes on a team we talked about a little bit earlier, Oregon State. Um, this one's on at 2.30 p.m. on the Pac-12 Network on Saturday um, in Pullman. Um, you know, I, I don't want to treat this like an FCS game, but it kind of feels like that. Like, I'd take Washington State minus like, kind of whatever. Um, I would take them minus 25, yeah. 28. I'd take them somewhere in that range. I think if it was like, if it was Washington State like minus 35, I might think about Oregon State, but I, I don't think I'm taking Oregon State no matter the spread until it gets to that level. Um, they look so bad. Washington State's got some things to figure out, but they're not so bad that they're going to struggle with this team. I think Oregon State is the clear bottom of the conference by a wide margin, and uh, Washington State should roll in this one pretty easily. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you there. Uh, I, I kind of feel like Oregon State's probably not going to bounce back. Washington State will. Like, they'll get better after yep. this one. They'll play better. So you just feel like Washington State was like, eh, they're going to play better in this next game. Not sure. You, you hope. I mean, we love the Beavs. Love Angie up there covering them. You hope they do, but this Mike, just from watching, doesn't seem like they're going to. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I would take Washington State giving a lot of points in this one. For sure. So we'll go to our number two team. Washington Huskies. <laughs> This is one of those where I watched like the barest moments of it because it was on concurrently with a lot of other stuff that I had to watch. Um, but Washington, I mean, did what you would expect them to do against a team like Montana. They beat them 63 to seven. Um, it certainly seemed as if the offense kind of got going in a way that it didn't necessarily get going, um, in the opener. Uh, they ran the ball really, really well. Um, 37 carries for 213 yards. Uh, Jake Browning was efficient. Um, 22 of 26 for 259 yards and a couple of touchdowns. Uh, the defense shut down Montana. Um, they weren't able to do much. Um, I don't know if there's much more analysis than that uh, to be done, um, but Washington uh, beat the snot out of Montana and now gets ready for uh, another opponent. You got anything from this one? This is like, okay, so uh, Dante Pettis had a punt return for a yep. touchdown. If you watch that. Saw that one. Saw that highlight. It was a seventh of his career, so that's a Pac-12 record, and it wasn't like catch it, run up the seam, and just run. Like it was run all the way to one sideline, make a bunch of guys miss, run all the way to the other sideline, and then it was like uh, it was the end. We're like, okay, this is where he gets tackled at the twenty. Oh, it makes that guy miss. Oh, it gets a block, and it was like, and he and he got in. It was like he really just wanted to score. So that was a really cool moment. It didn't look like he could. You know, it was great, but it was like, yeah, it's probably not. He's not gonna be able to finish this one. And he still did. Um, they actually had a pick six pick six too that looked like kind of the same but yeah they crushed uh montana i don't know what you're gonna get out of that um nothing at all nothing um so now washington uh will take on fresno state 6 30 p.m in seattle on the pac-12 network uh this is on saturday um fresno state is fresh off of getting its butts handed to it by alabama uh 41 to 10 Alabama, of course, uh, played Washington last year in the college football playoff. Um, so Fresno State, not not an easy slate you scheduled for yourself, <laughs> going against uh, two playoff teams in three weeks to start the year. Um, Fresno State, it's hard to tell anything from watching them against Alabama, um, whether or not they're any good at all or terrible, because Alabama plays the exact same game against everyone. Um you know, they'll let you hang around for a few seconds and then they'll just slowly crush the life out of you like an inexorable bulldozer that's moving at five miles per hour. So 
yeah, I don't know what to make of Fresno State. Um, I think Washington, I, I, again, I don't know that they solved any of their issues um, this past week against Montana. Um, you know, whatever remains from that Rutgers game, I think, is probably still there. And Fresno State might be about the level of Rutgers. Could we say that? Yeah. So, I, yeah. At Seattle, so Washington State beat Rutgers by 16. So at Seattle, I'd take Washington minus uh, 24. Yeah. 20, somewhere between 24 and 27 or so. Um, I think at 28, I might think about Fresno State just because I'm not sure the offense has complete, completely been figured out for Washington. But I don't know. But I, I think that's about right. I think about a, a Washington minus 24 feels right. I feel I'm feeling that too. I think this is a, you know, it's going to be a, a good, better Fresno State team going forward. Jeff Tefford, you know, took over and, uh, you know, I, I think they're going to be better. Um, they're going to recruit better. Uh, you know, I got to cover that team for a while and, uh, uh, really fun, you know, program up in the Central Valley. It's going to be tough. You play back to back playoff teams. <laughs> like that's not going to be easy on the road. Um, so they always schedule, they'll schedule anybody and you get, you got to take, tip your cap to, uh, Fresno State. They'll, they'll play anybody. So good for them. But I just kind of feel like these are the games that Washington wins when there's a distinct talent advantage. Um, Jake Browning shines. These guys, you know, the stars all come out. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's looking like a pretty manageable schedule. Now maybe the Colorado game next, the, the following week, uh, is tougher. But, you know, after that, it's like at Oregon State. Cal at Arizona State bye. So until week nine, UCLA, like, you know, outside of the Colorado game, this, you know, this, this Washington team could get on a, a great roll. Yeah. And they need to figure some things out even in, in the midst of all that winning. But, um, yeah, they've got the schedule lined up for, uh, for a great year for contending in the North. All right. So man, it's tough for, for Chris Peterson's squad. They win 63 to seven and we drop them. We dropped them, yeah. Dave. Haters. We are haters. Haters. Uh, our number one team. USC Trojans. Look, we kept him out of the top spot as long as we could. All right. Um, <laughs> but USC uh, put together uh, uh, probably the best game that, given the opponent, the best game that anybody in the Pac-12 has played so far this year. Uh, they beat Stanford 42-24. to um, And this was, I mean, I think that was about right i mean i think it was about an 18 point game that's what it felt like the whole way Stanford yeah. didn't really feel like it was threatening after the first half going into the half down 28 17 i thought was not quite a death knell for them but i thought they really needed to score coming out in the second half and they didn't um usc so usc was able to run the ball at a level against stanford that basically no one can do um steven carr averaged 10 yards per carry on 11 carries Ronald Jones Jr. had 23 carries for 116 yards. Um, Vave Malapai, I'm going to try to pronounce that. That's very good. Vave, but yeah, yeah. Um, he, he had six carries for 49 yards, but they, I mean, basically anybody who carried the ball against Stanford with this USC rushing attack was able to gain some yardage. Um, 48 carries for 307 yards. Um, I thought the USC offensive line played a crazy game. If you watch this one over again, just watch, especially in the second half, the push USC is getting on every single down. Stanford makes its money with this defensive lineman just knifing up field or holding the line and disrupting running back plays, like just disrupting running plays so they can't get where they want to go. On every single play, it felt like USC was starting three yards downfield no matter what. Um, and you just don't see that against Stanford. Um, and you haven't seen that against Stanford in probably seven years. 
So that was really impressive. Early on, USC's running defense didn't look great, but they really got more stout as the game went on. Um, and, you know, Stanford finished with a good rushing day, but early on, if you were watching this, you would have thought Stanford was going to finish with 300-plus yards, but they really got shut down in the second half. That entire Stanford offense seemed to get shut down in the second half as the defense for USC really started to tighten. Sam Darnold played really well, aside from two kind of, you know, picks made out of maybe a little bit of hubris. But, um, yeah, this this USC team looks scary as hell. Um, Stanford, I don't think, is bad, um, and they made them look like a mid-level Pac-12 team in this game. Yeah, this is the most yards I think a David Shaw team's ever given up. Uh, over 300 on the ground, over 300 in the air. That's not going to make David Shaw happy. Um couple interesting notes. So Stephen Mitchell, a lot of the fans on our message boards at uscfootball.com, they want to see some of the younger players come in and play. He's had a couple knee surgeries. Um, people were just kind of doubting him. He had two great touchdown catches in the back of the end zone and then a like a 50-yard bomb that he made a nice catch on. So he had a, a huge day. Um, Darnold, yeah, he had two picks that were just kind of like, what are you doing? But he had so many other like amazing plays. You're like, oh, okay, you deal with it. I mean, he completed 80% of his passes. I think yeah. it was like 22 of 26 or something or whatever with, with two picks, you know, like, yeah. So, uh, there's only a so couple he, of his passes. He completed, he completed <laughs> 23 of his 26 passes. Yeah. It was, what, it was a 21 of 26. I think that was what it was. I think that was, yeah. Yeah. Um, he, I think he completed his first 11, uh, and a, a few of these dimes that he threw and a couple great catches. Deontay Burnett is like a superstar. He had a one-handed catch that was awesome. He had a a full-on diving into the end zone catch where it was a drive that looked dude. And dude was an afterthought in recruiting. Oh yeah, like, like a gray shirt dude who had to bounce around for a few different schools before he even got to USC in the recruiting game. Yeah, he was uh, committed to Washington <laughs> State, and on signing day, I was at Sarah High School, and like he announced for USC, and I'm like, what? And like I know they didn't have a scholarship for him, and then. We found out he was blue shirting and stuff, so that was a great last second get. Um, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, he, it seems to have worked out well for everyone. That drive, uh, like USC, kind of was. They had some really good success on first down. Then for some reason, second half, some of the drives that weren't, and you know, they would get a penalty. They were kind of going backwards, and it looked like uh, this is an important drive. They need to score, and then he just hauls that bomb to Stephen Mitchell, and you're like, wow, okay. And then so that changed the complexion of the game, and then the next play. He throws it to Burnett and, uh, he dives it, you know, full on Superman dive, catching it and landing in the end zone. And you're just like, just like that, it looked like USC was going to punt and then they scored a touchdown. You're like, wow, that's pretty, uh, pretty impressive. The keys to me, Dave, though, were I knew USC had to force Stanford to punt the last four games. Stanford's only punted seven times. So they punted four times in this game and they punted the very first drive. So I think that was important. Um, you know, it allowed USC to get the lead. And then once you're playing from ahead, you know, Stanford ha- doesn't really play from be- behind as well. So I think getting the lead was very important. And uh, USC did a good job holding on to the lead. You saw their four-minute offense at the end of the game. They just were milking the clock. They basically out Stanford, Stanford. So, um, and I think Stanford still is going to be a really, really good team. I don't think a lot of teams are capable of getting that lead and, forcing Stanford to do things they don't want to do. I think if Stanford keeps doing what they do, like they could, they could um, potentially run the table, you know, the rest of the way, but USC did what you have to do against Stanford and kind of forced them to do things. They're not normally comfortably doing. And they had so much success on both sides of the ball. 
that even giving up a 75 yard run to Bryce Love, like you can survive things like that. And, and a bunch of stupid penalties. I mean, two times they had third and 18 and, and USC got penalties that were, that gave them first downs. They would have, they would have had to punt again, you know? Yeah. It could have been, it could have been actually a much worse result for Stanford, which is probably the scariest part. Um, so USC now is two and zero, and they will, uh, wrap up, I guess, the early part of their non-conference schedule uh, this weekend at 5.30 p.m. on Big Fox again. Uh, once again at home, Texas is coming to town. Um, USC, I think, is now number four. Or, I, I don't think the AP poll, or maybe it just came out, but whatever. Um, USC is number four here. They're number one in the, uh, in, the, in, the in the most important rankings, of course. Um, <laughs> Texas, so we just talked about them a little bit. They beat, uh, San Jose State 56 to nothing. Uh, but they also lost in week one to Maryland at home. Um, so, uh, don't know really at all what to expect from Texas. Um, I think, you know, knowing what we know about Tom Herman, he's probably had this team hyped up for this game from August 1st. Yeah. Right? Like, this has probably been one that's circled on his board. It's probably one circled on a lot of these players' boards. Um, I think Texas is going to come ready to play. Um, I don't know that they yet have the players or the continuity and scheme to really challenge USC. But I wouldn't be shocked if this is a competitive game for a long stretch. Um, I think Texas has, they certainly have some level of athleticism to compete with USC. I don't know if they're, where they're going to be in a year or two, but, um, I don't know what to make, what the line will be on this one. I would have to think it'll be USC minus 10 at least. Um, but I don't know where I would take Texas. I think I would take Texas if it's, if it's USC minus 14 to 17, I would, I think at the 17 range, I would probably take Texas at 14. I don't know. I think I'd go either way. What about you? Yeah. Same sort of thing. Uh, we've seen Tom Herman kind of struggle at Houston in games that were, you know, against the middle opponents, but then against the, the Oklahomas of the world, then they come out and win. So I think they're going to be, this has been circled. Like you said, and it's funny. I did, um, I was on with, uh, Tom Luganville and Andy Staples this morning on the Sirius XM, whatever sports show they do. And they asked about like, what the focus, you know, what are they thinking about Texas? And I'm like, I haven't even heard the word Texas. Like it's no one's, no players have talked about it. I mean, it was all about, are you looking past Western mission to get to Stanford? But I don't think anyone was looking to, Texas. Now fans talk about it because of the, the Rose Bowl and Vince Young and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know. I mean, this couldn't be a look ahead game. I mean, they, they just haven't really got the focus on this yet because so much attention, I think, was placed on Stanford. So maybe, you know, USC's not as focused in this game as Texas will be. Um, it's hard to tell, you know, Texas looked way better last week against a crappy opponent, but, uh, I don't think Maryland's all, you know, world beater and, and to lose at home to them. But I get a, I get the feeling, Dave, that Texas will keep it close uh, for a while. That they'll come out and play well. Herman will get them really, really, really up uh, for this game. It's going to be crazy. I think a lot of Texas fans are going to travel. This was a much, much, much harder ticket to get than the Stanford ticket was uh, if you're trying to go to both of these home games back to back. I'm kind of with you. Like single digits, yeah, I'll take USC up to 14 probably. After that, I, I'd really have to think about it. Yeah, I think there's just too much volatility to what to expect from Texas, and I think they'll be up for this one in a big way. So uh, I think, yeah, I, I'll, I'll firmly say it. I think if USC is favored by over 14, I'd probably take Texas. At 14, I'd probably take USC. 
One quick little side thing was just kind of funny. So my mom from Massachusetts, you know, outside of Boston came to visit me. And it's hard when like, you know, you're working a game, like people, you know, you got to work. And I'm, I'm stated, I was in the press box till like almost midnight. Um, but so I had a friend that was going to go to the game with her and I got her a couple of tickets, like media tickets that are next to the press box. And my friend, like his daughter was sick. He couldn't go. So I brought her to a tailgate and introduced her to some people and stuff, but she was basically going to sit in the game by herself. And she's, you know, very friendly. She goes, I'll talk to people around her. So I go over at like halftime, uh, to say hi to her. And there's a kind of group of Stanford fans she's chatting with. Um, and I, you know, I said hi to them or whatever. And then some, some of the fans like knew me and then said hello and stuff or whatever. And I went back in and then, you know, after the game, I say hi and those Stanford fans are there and she's chatting with one guy this whole time. And I go down to the field and then I come back and realize, uh, like I get a text from, or my wife had tweeted out, um, that her, you know, her mother-in-law was hanging out with Sterling Brown, uh, from this is us. So I don't, I, I've never watched a show, but, uh, you know, good looking black guy. He, uh, he looked like he could have played football too, but he went to Stanford. It was a big Stanford fan and was there with like a few other friends, like a guy that was a doctor, a lawyer. And he's like, I was drama, you know? Um, so my mom was just sitting with this guy, Sterling Brown. So I tweeted out a picture with, with the two of them and stuff. So she had a really good day, uh, watching the game with, uh, Stanford fans. So there's a lot of, uh, Pac-12 kind of famous, uh, yeah. you know, actor dudes out there, but I thought that was cool. He was a super nice guy. I was taking pictures with people and stuff. So, uh, big shout out to Sterling Brown. Cool. Yeah. Very he made, cool. made my mom's, uh, mom's time at the game a lot more fun. So that was cool. That's great. Uh, um, questions yeah let's so we'll do how are we on time we uh eh, we're still going kind of long but we'll yeah let's do a couple quick questions all right so we've got the the tweets right so yeah i'm in the twitter right now all right so uh jb asks us to rank the top five running backs in the pack and also with wide receivers so i got i have the stats pull up you want me i can kind of give you the top 10 or so that are and if okay. you, we want to talk yeah, about, let's do that and then we'll, uh, give our actual picks from that group. So we have, so we'll go 10 up. Um, this is by, I think this is, uh, what are they ranking this by? Receiving yard, uh, the yardage leaders. Okay. So, uh, Theo Howard's number 10, 144 yards. Uh, Noah to go, to go is that his name? Um, the tight end from Oregon State. T-O-G-I-A-I. Okay. 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 Toe guy, I'm not sure. Shea Fields for Colorado. Uh, James Williams, the running back from Washington State. That's funny. He has 190 yard receiving yards. That's crazy. Uh, Vic Wharton, the third from Cal. He has over 200 yards. Charles Nelson, uh, from Oregon has 216 yards. Um, Darren Andrews, uh, for UCLA, 234 yards. Oh, and five touchdowns. So he's got to be in there. Caleb Wilson, also for UCLA. Uh, 18 catches, 239 yards and a, and a touch. Darren Carrington, uh, from Utah, formerly of Oregon, 256 yards and a touchdown. And then Deontay Burnett leads the league, 263 yards and two touchdowns. So my top five, um, I'd probably go like a Darren Carrington would probably be my number one. Um, cause he's done it for two schools. That's incredible. Yeah, it is. Um, then I'd probably go, I love Deontay Burnett. Um, I'd probably go him number two. Um, I'd think about Charles Nelson number three. 
Um, Shea Fields might be in that group for me. Yeah. Um, and then maybe one of the UCLA guys, maybe Darren Andrews or Caleb Wilson. Um, I would I'd be fine with either of those. There's probably a rotating group of probably about five different guys I'd be fine with as number five. But I think that top four would be Deontay Burnett, Darren Carrington, Charles Nelson, and Shea Fields for me in some order. I think with Andrews having five touchdowns, I think I'd have to include him too. Yeah, and he's been he's been much so he's been consistently good for UCLA for the last couple of years, and this year he's better than he's ever been. Um, and I think with the way Rosen Rosen's playing, he's going to put up some real numbers this year. So yeah, I'm fine with him number five. That works um, just a couple other guys like they're in the Stephen Mitchell's actually number eleven. Um, Bobo he only has 124 yards and a touchdown, but he's had some crazy carries. They have he's at number fourteen. Uh, Nikhil Harry is number, down at number 18. Uh, Pettis is down at number 20. He only has 117 yards. He only has seven catches, but, um, wow. there's some good names. We'll see that. I think that'll change too. There's some quality receivers that just aren't in like the receiving leaders, but, um, you know, two games in, I think we could go with that. Uh, rushing wise. I, I've got my top five without even looking at the numbers. Okay. I want to Who- see if this verifies against the numbers. Okay. All right. I'd go, um, Probably Royce Freeman, number one. All right. I would think about Bryce Love, number two. Okay. I've got both USC running backs, Ronald Jones and Stephen Carr, three and four. Whatever order you want. All right. I think I'd probably take Carr for potential at number three. Actually, Carr, by the end of the year, might be number one on this list. That is a freak. Um, but so those four, and then I'd probably go Philip Lindsay over Ryan Nall at number five. So you're, I mean, you're, so the, as far as rushing leaders go, Love is number one. He's at, uh, 340 yards, two touchdowns. Royce Freeman, uh, a lot more attempts, 52 attempts as, as opposed to Bryce Love's 30. He has 52 attempts, 303 yards, but six touchdowns. Yeah, that dude's a big beast. Um, Ronald Jones is, uh, 41 carries, 275 yards and five touchdowns. So yeah, you could argue him being up there. Philip Lindsay's number four. Uh, 227 yards and 45 carries and, uh, two touchdowns. Nall comes in at number five, uh, mostly on that, uh, well, he's had three games, right? Um, yeah, I think they've played three games. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he has 205 yards. He didn't do much in the last game. Uh, <laughs> the cow walk on running back. Patrick Laird is, uh, sixth. Uh, he had 200 yards, uh, three touchdowns. Stephen Carr, seventh. Who you mentioned, 188 yards on 18 carries. So he only has 18 carries. He's the, the only yeah. guy in the top 10 that has fewer than 20 carries, uh, two touchdowns. Tyler Huntley, the, <laughs> the quarterback, uh, from Utah is eighth, the eighth leading rusher in the conference. Uh, Zach Moss, the running back from Utah is ninth. And then JJ Taylor from Arizona, uh, running back is 10th. So yeah, I, I like your list. I think that's a, a good way to go. I, I don't know if it's Stephen Carr is in there, but like, I love Ryan Nall, but man, it, the fact that he didn't even start the last game, like something's weird. Something's very weird there. So, yeah. all right. So that was one question. Um, some guy, uh, Shalom asks, you know, why do Pac-12 refs hate USC so much? So, all right. First of all, I'm going to answer a, this one. It's I'm incompetence. This one. Yeah. Yeah. This is not. Pac-12 refs hating USC. It's Pac-12 refs hating everyone who watches football. <laughs> they, they hate you for watching this sport, and they try to make it as unwatchable as possible. 
It's not anything in particular against USC. It's just they don't want anybody to watch the games, and that's why they 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 ref so badly. The the so one was also, like it, basically Porter Gustin was rushing the passer, and it was loud, and apparently a whistle blew, and he he like touched uh, Keller Christ, and they threw a flag. But he touched him. He touched him so hard, and <laughs> and that's why and that's why he got a flag for the late hit there. Um, yeah, this was a. Uh, it was like was third really and eighteen that, too. It was like that, that entire game was just a cluster of just horrible calls, and it wasn't always just against USC. There was one where Kobe Parkinson was basically tackled in the end zone, like had his whole shoulder pad being like ripped off by the defender, and it was like the most obvious pass interference anyone has ever seen, and they didn't call a flag. And yet, like on these like touch plays where like nobody was really even touching a Stanford receiver. Uh, there was pass interference after pass interference. So yeah. it was a horribly called game, but that's, that's the norm. That's yes. every, that's every game the Pac-12 calls. Don't worry and, about it. And that's it. like the marquee, obviously the marquee game of the conference, you know, uh, one, the commissioner wasn't there, which is, that was weird. And two, how is the, the, the refereeing that bad? But it was. Yep. All right. And then, uh, we got another question looking so this is from UTologist, uh, looking at ASU's upcoming schedule. Does Todd Graham make it to the end of the season? Ooh, I love these ones. All right. So let's look at Arizona State football schedule and let's, let's go through this real quick. Okay. All right. So they are, uh, one and one right now at Texas Tech. We think they're going to lose, Loss. right? All right. So one and two. Uh, Oregon at home. Loss. One, three. Yeah. At Stanford, one and four. Um, Washington at home, one and five. Yeah. And then at Utah, one and six. Then USC at, jeez. Oh, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> he might not make it out of September. What? When they do they win their next the year, game? Like, they could easily start, like, easily start the year one and seven. Like, easily. Like, play well. Like, if they play better, still not winning those games. Yeah, like, uh, so uh, winnable among that bunch. Uh, Texas Tech's winnable in theory. Yeah. Oregon, Oregon, I think is still winnable. Yeah, in theory. Oregon at home, that's, like, you uh, gotta yeah, play yeah. a lot better in Oregon, you know, that, you go with that one. I think at Stanford, that's, Not. that's a tough one. I think Washington at home, that's a tough one. I think at Utah is a tough one. And I think USC is a tough one. Like, I think those four games, if you pulled out one of those, that would be impressive. Yeah. So, if they lose to Texas Tech, I think he's in real trouble. Um, cause after that, it could snowball really quickly. Uh, these next two weeks, it's essential, essential that he wins one of the next two games, I think, because otherwise, I think they're in real danger of starting the year one and six, one and seven. Even like week 10 Colorado, week 11 at UCLA, like. It's a bear. They like, could they've win, got some real trouble. Lose all those games easy. Then you go at Oregon State and it's like. Yeah, th- this is one year they would love to be playing Oregon State and Arizona in September. Yeah, but so you don't you get Oregon State and Arizona week twelve and week thirteen. Is Todd Graham still around without a couple of big upsets? I, 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 so prediction: I don't think he survives October yeah. for sure. Great I question. Think, I think great he's question. Out before November. Yeah. Wow, that was great. I hadn't really internalized that one yet. Um, and then uh, our old friend Casey Cosgrove asked asks us who improved the most from week one to week two i don't think it's any question that it was usc yeah um right i mean is there anybody else i mean washington looked better but it was against montana so who knows um utah looked about the same colorado looked about the same stanford looked worse cal looked worse 
UCLA. UCLA looked better, um, so that's maybe a yeah, they could be in there. But I, but I think USC was the pretty obvious one there. Yeah. Um, coaching candidates. So Lobo Jangles is asking us for coaching candidates for ASU. Uh, maybe we'll outsource that to Chris Cartman because um, I don't even have any idea. Yeah. No. No. Uh, no clue. Haven't. Haven't really dove into that. Sorry, Lobo. Lo, but that's a great question. We. Uh, if you got him, tweet a, tw- you know, tweet ideas at us. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think that's it. Uh, there was one, uh, Isaac Abid, Abid. Oh, did it come in? Oh, okay, I see it. Um, should I be less worried of my UCLA D because we run a bend, don't break, and had lost key players against Hawaii? Or are there larger issues? There are larger issues. Um, I think linebacker play has been a real I mean, I think linebacker play is maybe the most significant issue, but I think it's a combination of linebacker play and then the interior of the defensive line just isn't as stout against the run as it used to be um, because they lost Eddie Vanderdos and Elianku to the NFL, um, and the replacements just aren't. I mean, I don't think they're as good against the run as uh, as those two guys who left. So you don't have those guys making plays up front, and then you also don't have a guy like Jayon Brown back there cleaning it up. Um, and the drop-off in linebacker play, I think, is the more significant issue because UCLA likes to run a nickel defense with only two linebackers on the field. But if those linebackers aren't the caliber of player that you know Jayon Brown or Eric Kendricks before him is, uh, you're just not going to clean up at that same level, and guys are going to get free a lot more. Um, and especially with the safety injuries UCLA's had, and we'll see you know, whether or not those guys come back anytime soon. Um, you can see a lot of issues starting to form with the running defense that maybe aren't easily correctable. Um, I think UCLA really needs to take a long look at its linebacker play um, and try to figure something out there. I thought Chris Barnes played really well in this last game. Maybe he gets a longer look now. Um, Lucena Toyoloa looked good in the first game, uh, but it hasn't. Nothing has really clicked yet for UCLA, and I think it is something to be significantly worried about heading into conference play. Um, but, well, you know, the offense can win some shootouts, but it would be nice if the defense could get some stops. All right. Well, very interesting uh, week in the Pac-12, Dave. Very interesting week. A lot of fun, and I'm excited for another fun week this upcoming one. Yeah, a lot of uh, road games for Pac-12 teams, so some different tests. Uh, we'll see how that turns out. Well, we tried to shorten it. We've got an hour and a half or so. Um, hey, that's shorter. It's shorter, but not by a lot. Um, but, hey, you know, we do what we can. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this edition of the uh, podcast of champions. We had a lot of fun doing it. Check back on pac12podcast.com. We'll put up all of our picks against the spread. Uh, I'm actually at even now 12 and 12 and Dave's just under. He's 11 and 13. So we'll try to do a bit, a little bit, a little bit better this week when the uh, numbers come out. So that's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks for tuning in and we will talk to you next time.